Scams, fraud, financial crime. Banks are spending millions trying to stop them, but they are coming at us thick and fast. Trying to deal with these scammers is very much a whack-a-mole operation. A simple road toll text scam is taking a massive toll on unsuspecting victims, with one person losing their life savings. We've also seen them coming from NZ Post, from IRD, the standard you've got a parcel type scam. So it's really widespread. As soon as you expose one front they're using, within weeks they'll have developed new fake prospectuses. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly and today on The Detail I'm behind the scenes at the BNZ in Wellington to find out what goes on in the bank's fraud investigation offices. I can't go into the room where they work because what's on their screens is just too sensitive. But such is the concern about the soaring rates of bank fraud that BNZ has agreed to a rare interview to try to raise awareness. The escalation of scams has been exponential in the last 12 months and it's kind of looking at that problem and and what's the best way to solve it. And here's what they're up against. The team is writing and rewriting the rules constantly, almost daily, to try and stay ahead of the crooks. It can take just four minutes, yes, four minutes, to lose your money. And this... Over the last year, $183.5 million has gone out of Kiwi's accounts from scams. First of all, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Nick Franhook. I am a financial crime investigator within BNZ's fraud protection team. And, and Ashley Kaifong, I'm the head of financial crime and the fraud protection team at BNZ. Now, we're, we're kind of sitting in a, um, looks like a staff room maybe or a... No, no, no. It's our what we call our creative room. Oh, is it? Yeah. What normally goes on in here? Creative stuff. <laughs> you don't really associate banking with oh, creative stuff. So if you, if you think about what we were talking about before, um, we kind of use these rooms and actually try and think of scenarios, whether that be products or, in our case, um, ways that we can kind of mitigate fraud. So that's kind of what this room's about. Oh, right. So you all come together and, and just throw around ideas. Yeah, because, you know, no one has really the mortgage on good ideas and actually some of the ideas that we come from is like in our fraud space are people who actually don't really know that much about fraud and they've just asked the right question. Obviously this isn't your office. This isn't where well, you part of our office. Part of your office, <laughs> right here. The reason I can't go into their office is because in the background there is running some very sophisticated equipment. They're scanning for a number of what they call fraud typologies. The different types of scams, schemes and plots to part you from your money. We're in real, basically real time looking at the transactions and we're screening them against those nine typologies we've got. And then what, is, do, does something red flash up? Yeah, pretty much. There's an alert. I'd love to say there's a big red flag that comes up, but actually it's just a line uh, on the transactions. But what it does is it gives an indication to the analysts that are working that queue to actually look at that and then look at the transactions around it and, and, and go, is this right? Because the other thing that we've got to be really mindful of as well is that there are a number of transactions that are legitimate. In fact, I, I did the numbers the other day and I think it was something like one one thousandth of a percent of all of our transactions are fraud. Oh, gosh. Right, so it's very small. Yeah. So you just got to be really careful about getting or alerting on the known fraud yeah. And making sure that we're not overly holding up legitimate transactions because customers expect that their legitimate transactions should go through. 
I can't tell you what we see on our screens regarding the customer. I'm sure anyone can, as a banking customer, will be happy that I'm not sharing that. Yeah. But we we have a lot of built-in education in ourselves, I think, from upskilling that we can spot if something looks out of the ordinary for the customer we're looking at with the information we have. Mm -hmm. And I think that is when we take the action that Ash mentioned. Sometimes it's instant action, shutting down uh, any access to the account so that no transactions can leave. Um, and then that's when we follow up with that very important call with the customer. And we know for a fact that these scammers will sometimes still be on the line on the other end trying to social engineer these victims. So are you saying that while you're talking to the customer, how does that work? You're, you're on the phone to the customer yeah, and, and the fraudster's the, online. On the, on the other phone? So it could be oh, wow. through mobile or landline or those types of things. Yeah. And actually we've had situations where one of my guys have been on the phone to a, a customer saying, we think you're being defrauded. The scammer's been on the other line saying, no, no, uh, we're the bank. They're the fraudster. This is where it gets a bit crazy. I got a call from a no-caller ID. This person then claimed they were from Kiwi Bank, from the fraud department. They were going to be issuing a refund and they just needed to verify some details with me first. This is a case of the scammers scarily disguised as the banks themselves. Children's book author Malcolm Clark took to TikTok with his own true life tale. You have to understand at this point he'd called back from the Kiwi Bank number. I just had this fraud transaction on my account. He had me pretty much convinced that this was like a legitimate thing. Um, when I sounded weary, he said, look, totally understand. I said, look, I'd prefer to go into a bank. He said, fine, that's okay. Just to let you know, we'd have to completely lock and freeze your accounts. He then hung up and I was this close to having my whole bank account being wiped. The poor customer's caught in the middle. So what we've said to, said to the customer is, you know what? Don't believe any of us. Pull everything out of the wall, disconnect everything. Phone us back on the number that you know, on the back of your card or, or wherever, and ask for this person. Um, that's how you know who you're dealing with. Look, these fraudsters, uh, scammers, whatever you want to call them, um, some of them are quite brazen, right? Because they're fighting for their livelihood, which is your money. And, and actually, we, we'd love to win that fight against them. Tell me what happens in the place. You, you're talking about the screens. Um, so what we've got is we've got a system that's monitoring in the background for known fraud typologies. Right? So I've got a team of people who look at the analytics of, of what we're seeing in, in the market, what we think the landscape's going to be, and we're, we're writing rules against that so that we can alert and actually hopefully prevent people from losing money. Known fraud typologies, what does that mean? It's the types of fraud that's occurring in the market, right? So we're currently seeing things like text phishing. You know, you, you might have received one on, on your phone yourself. Where from BNZ, it, From BNZ, fact, from yeah. ASB. It's from those known brands that you kind of love and trust. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, these bad people out there, they're using that love and trust that, that you've got and hoping to get you at a vulnerable moment. You might have seen the Waka Kotahi ones that, that have come out. The message looks like it comes from a legit agency like Waka Kotahi and encourages you to click on a link and pay a bill or a toll or... There are three toll roads in New Zealand, two in Tauranga, one's on the Hibiscus Coast. Unfortunately, we have people who have been in the South Island who have never gone to the North Island who have been clicking on that link. But you have to provide personal details. So if you stopped and paused and thought about it, I've never been there, how could I get this toll? Then Don't do it. It is dodgy. The offenders are working real time in the background. So when you enter it, 
they have it and they are using it. How are they using it? So they can use it to access the accounts that you, you've given them to. So if you've given your BNZ banking credentials, they will attempt to access your BNZ account. Their main goal is essentially to defraud you out of as, as much of your money as possible. And when do you start to see something happening? Yeah, that, it's very case by case on, on that. We have uh, rules in the background that can capture some of that. Um, we can get customer contact. Uh, as you can imagine, we can't really go into detail, but there is a way for us to to sort of know if, if, if our customers visited those sites um, and, and we'll action all accordingly depending what comes in and when it comes in. What do you mean by rules? Can you talk a bit more about those? You say you've got rules in the background. Yeah, so so we're I've got a team writing a lot of rules to alert on what we know will, is likely to be fraud. So so the fraud patterns that are occurring within transactions, those types of things. And they're looking at those almost every day, just refining them, seeing is, it, is this fit for purpose? Because um, there's a real balance here, right? Because we could stop everything because it's potentially suspicious, but then customers wouldn't be able to do their transactions. And that's not a good scenario. But then we actually have to balance that with what are the scenarios that are going to give us the best bang for our buck so that we are stopping most of the fraud, yet still allowing those transactions to go through in a timely manner. So what's the next step? I mean, if you do recognise it as a scam or fraud, what what is the next step? Then uh, people like Nick and, and other people that we have working here will actually put a hold on the bank account if they can and try and contact the customer. Customer contact is sometimes a little bit difficult because you you may yourself have had a phone call and, and actually missed it, or if they try to email that the email's not picked up. So so we try and do a number of number of ways to contact the customer if we can't get them first time on the phone. The trouble is, Nick, that people are really suspicious now of a phone call, aren't they? You know, you might say, "Hi, I'm Nick from from BNZ, and we've got a problem here." What kind of reaction do you get? In all honesty. I'm happy when they're suspicious. They should be. My key message is to question everything. I think if someone calls you purporting to be from the bank or or anywhere else, you should be questioning whether or not they actually are who they say they are. Um, Key things I tell our customers when I call them is I am, for one, never going to ask you for any of your personal information. I already have that. Um, I will never ask you to install anything on your computer. Um, We would never do that. And then if they are still suspicious at that point, I will be their biggest supporter if they want to call the bank on a number they trust. And I will say I will put clear notes on your profile to get that call straight back to me when you call through. What's people's de- demeanour by then, customers? How, what are you having to deal with? Not only ki- trying to convince them, obviously, but you know these are really stressful moments, aren't they? Yeah, very stressful moments, and I think it's core memories that they will probably have with them forever, and you've got to treat them like another human on the other end of that phone. What would I feel like in that situation? I'd be stressed, I'd be scared, nervous, I'd be worried. If I can put myself in their shoes, I can best have the conversation with them. They have the choice at the end of the day on whether or not they want to continue the conversation. And some choose to end the conversation with the bank and go with the scammer. More on that soon. But what happens when the money disappears from the account? Where does it go and who takes it? Here's Ash again. It could actually go to what we call money mules. Right? They're either uh, being duped themselves, so so they're part of a, part of another scam, and being asked to forward on the money somewhere, or being, or they could be what we call witting mules, and they're doing it for a gratuity of some description. Within that sort of process, 
that actually starts to complicate how you can recover because you've got to keep following the trail mm. to try and find out where the money's gone. And, look, the money can go out in cash. It can go out to other accounts. Um, it's just bounded by the scammer's ability to think about how they're going to do it. And probably the biggest thing is if you think about what a scammer does, right? it's their day job. And we all know how long we think and, and put effort into our own day jobs. This is their day job. Their day job is to get your hard-earned money out of your pocket into theirs. So they're thinking and devising ways to do it all the time. Do you have any figures on how much, how many of the scams that money stays in New Zealand versus how much goes no, offshore? No, we don't. What I can tell you, though, is that um, over the sort of the last year, $183.5 million has gone out of Kiwi's accounts from scams. Would that be a record amount? Uh, yeah, it was about 20% up on the previous year. So it's increasing every year and the type of scams getting more sophisticated? Yes, there are. Some of the stuff that we've seen has become more sophisticated, but actually some of it isn't any more sophisticated than it was back in the days when you had the Nigerian prince who was going to give you X riches for an advance fee fraud. The fundamentals are still the same. It's about... Something that's come out of the blue with a sense of urgency, right? Because what they're trying to do is that they're trying to prey on the vulnerability of, the, of of a customer, and then get them not to think about stuff. And what it's really difficult for Kiwis to do is just say no. We need to step back and, and question what is being asked of us, and is that normal? Would the bank want these details from me? Would IRD want these details from me? Should I be providing them access to my computer? And if you start having some worries, then the first thing you should do is is not feel bad for hanging up. If someone hears, hi, I'm Nick from the bank, and they go, I'm not talking to you unless I know it's BNZ and hang up, I'm not going to be hurt by that. At what point can you not recover the money? As we keep saying, each case is on its own merits and, and it's a case-by-case -case basis because you don't know what's actually happened at the other end in, in that a, the account or accounts. So, yeah, it's kind of really difficult to say. And how long does it take? Days or weeks or...? Yes, is the answer. Right. Um, yeah, it, it varies. Um, and we've had cases where we thought we'd never get the money back, where we have. We've had cases where we thought, man... This, is, this should be quite easy to get the money back and the offenders have moved so fast, right? In some cases, we've seen four minutes from the time the money has been taken to when it's gone. Completely. Completely. No chance of getting no. it back. How do you know? Where yep. is it gone? So, so we, we trace it to the next account and, yep. and at the financial institution, go for a recall at that financial institution to try and recover that money. And then it might if it's moved on from there, then... It kind of leapfrogs kind of thing, and we, we just try and follow that money. When do you know when to stop? Well, when, when the other banker or financial institution involved in the chain has said the money's been withdrawn in cash or whatever, we generally get some type of indication. But then you must be able to identify the person who's taken the money out. Potentially. Potentially not, depending on where it's gone to, right, and what financial institution it is. We've talked about how much money, how many customers lose money through scams. Great question. Sorry, don't know the answer. We haven't kind of collated across the industry how many customers that equates to. How does New Zealand compare with other parts of the world in terms of bank fraud? In terms of scams, I, th I think we're, we're relatively the same per capita. It's, I think the other thing being is that with Kiwis being so trusting, 
makes us a nice target as well. Are there specific times of day when this kind of thing happens? No, no, not at all. It's just at the behest of the offenders. Are they targeting specific people? Do they know? Have they got profiles of people? No. Is, no. So when they send a text, like I've, I've had yep. text messages, yep. they're just punching in a number yep. and hoping Very that... Much so. so if you think about a scattergun approach, right, where they're sending out these messages all the time, across an array of, let's say it's a phone, phone numbers, the, they only need a small number of people to actually just not think about it, click on that link and start to give away their details for it to be really profitable for them. Yeah, but l- let's think about this top figure, right? And the top figure is probably the harm, $183 million. Even if you got some of that back, there's still $183 million of harm somewhere. Again, that message, recognise the signs. But here's something else that might surprise. The bank has research showing 24 to 40-year-old so-called digital natives who think they never get sucked in, the ones who live busy lives and just want to get rid of a text from the bank, are just as susceptible as an elderly person living on their own. Likewise, there's no real profile of the offenders. You just don't know, right? You just don't know for somebody what their tipping point is into criminality. We're in a cost of living crisis at the moment. And what the tipping point is for somebody to go and become a money mule or maybe think that there's a great idea to actually start scamming people, which to your listeners definitely isn't. It's probably one of the worst things you're just ruining lives. But no one really knows what each person's tipping point is. There could be somebody who's desperate out there who thinks, This could be a quick get-rich scheme for me. I'm not really hurting anybody because you can't see your victims as such. But actually what you're doing is actually causing a whole lot of harm in the community and and a lot of suffering for people. But as you're saying, you know, it used to be the Nigerian prince. Are there still those kind of big offshore scams going on? Oh, remote access scams, those types of things. Yeah, very much so. But to kind of pin it on one demographic or that sort of stuff, really difficult. The methods in which they take it may sometimes change, but the fundamentals always stay the same. I think it's more important people talk about this stuff, whether that be at your dinner table with your family, whether that be at Christmas, so you're getting the entire audience. Um, I think it's important we talk about this. I think if, if you've fallen victim to it, others need to know so that they can use that as a way to stop themselves falling victim. People feel shame though, don't they? They are. It's an extremely embarrassing. We've got to take the shame and embarrassment out for victims. In all honesty, smart people get scammed by smart scammers. This is their day job and they're thinking of smart ways of getting your hard-earned money out of your pocket into theirs. The federal government has cyber criminals in its sights, today revealing it'll spend $86.5 million on a new national anti-scam centre. Australia's got one, so have other countries. But when it comes to all the agencies, from banks to telcos, sharing the load through one central agency, we're just not there. We'd be really supportive of something like that happening in New Zealand so that there's no wrong door for somebody who's been a victim of, of a scam. Almost like a one-stop shop, right? You report it, 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 there's your bank there doing what they need to do, recovering money, those types of things. There's somebody, a government agency to investigate it. And how do we, as a country, wrap around some services around these people who are victims and actually have uh, their complaint looked at by anybody who needs to look at it? So how's the government responding to that? There's still discussions 
uh, underway in relation to kind of a more centralised agency in New Zealand, then we would be really supportive of, of kind of something like that if it, if, if it came to fruition. Okay, but so far the government hasn't done anything? Uh, no, there's still discussions going on. Okay, how long have those discussions been going on? Uh, the escalation of scams has yeah. been exponential in the last 12 months and it's looking at that problem and, and what's the best way to solve it. And mm. so hence why the discussions are continuing is probably the best way of putting it. And can you explain why scams have increased exponentially over the last 12 months? Simple answer is the rate of return. So it costs very little for a scammer to send out those texts or emails or whatever, but they only need a few people to click on the links, give away their details for it to be lucrative. But okay, so do you know what the next big scam is? The next big scam is whatever the scammers can actually think of to get your money. What scammers tend to do is that they they will use events that garner like a big profile. For example, end of tax year time. So you get an IRD scam because people are thinking about that sort of stuff so they're more likely to fall for it. For example, and, and we haven't seen it, but with New Zealand having a new public holiday for the last couple of years being Matariki, I kind of thought that there might be a Matariki scam, right? In celebration for uh, the new public holiday, the government's going to give you a grant. If only they would, but they won't. But then it's just using those kind of circumstances to play on people's um, emotions, get them a little bit more vulnerable, get them to think less. Right now, the big thing is these Taylor Swift tickets. Everyone's trying to buy those. Uh, It's in the media, how well she's doing, how sold out they are. The scammers can use this information to send out a mass email saying, hey, we've noticed charges for Taylor Swift on your card. And instantly people are going, hold on, I know there's a concert, but I didn't buy any tickets. So they're instantly trying to click that link to stop that payment. But that's the problem. The payment never existed. The scammer knows that, but they're just sending out a wide net. I think it comes back to the fact that's why it's called phishing. They throw out the widest net possible. And if they even hit five times, it makes it worthwhile for them. What's been your most difficult fraud, most complicated one to get on top of? They're all difficult. Are they? Yeah. Each case is very different. I think there are some fraud typologies that um, do hit home for our customers. I think with relationship scams, the scammers are using a very strong emotion. They're targeting love and everyone wants to feel loved. Everyone wants to be a part of something. Um, And these scammers are using that to to manipulate the customer or socially engineer the customer into thinking they have that. Um, And so obviously those calls with the customers are extremely hard because at the end of the day, sometimes you are just... uh, a random person calling from the bank worried about a customer and and they've sometimes spent months, even years, building these relationships with the scammers that they thought or still think are genuine sometimes. There's always going to be bank fraud, isn't there? There's always going to be scammers. Well, I I spoke to um, somebody a few years back who asked what I did for a job and I I, I told him and he, he was talking about fraud and I said, look, as far as I can work out, Ever since there have been banks, there have been people trying to get money out of them. Robbers. <laughs> yeah, they just don't hitch their horse outside the front nowadays, right? Um, so they're, they're doing it remotely from other countries, digitally, those types of things. So it's about that education piece. 
That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Nick Ryan-Hook and Ash Kaifong from the BNZ's Fraud Investigation Offices. Ka kite.